Welcome to episode 90 of the Search with Canada podcast recorded on Friday the 4th of December 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm going to be talking to you about the announced Google Broadcore update. I'm going to be talking about the new FAQ Google has released on the Core Web Vitals and just picking out some interesting things on there. And we're going to have a talk about the new crawl reports in Google Search Console, as well as again some more new guidance Google has provided us on crawl budgets. Before we get going, I have the pleasure of telling you this podcast is sponsored by Sightbulb. What is Sightbulb? If you haven't heard of it, where have you been? It's one of the most popular SEO auditing tools for Windows and Macs. It runs from your desktop and it does absolutely loads of great things. We use it at Canda. I've used it for quite a few years now. So at the beginning of these podcasts, I normally just go through some of the features that I particularly like about Sightbulb. And today, based on some client work I've been doing this week, I wanted to talk about hreflangs. So those tags which help search engines decide which particular version of a page they should serve based on language or location. Simple in theory, in practice, I find they tend to get a little bit more complicated and it's something that Sightbulb can handle really well for you. So when you put your URL into Sightbulb, it does have a little box you can just tick if you wanna take a look at the internationalization aspects of a site and it will go off and it will crawl and check all of these href lang tags and it does really helpful things. It picks out for you things like if a URL self-references more than once with different hreflang annotations, it lets you know if URLs mismatch their hreflang declaration. So don't forget as well, URL um, URLs which have hreflang tags need to be reciprocal. So they need these return tags really for them to, to be valid and for search engines to understand them. And it can be tricky. It's very easy to miss out. And there aren't loads of really great tools to do this. So that's something Sightbulb does really well, breaks it down, gives you all the URLs and gives you something really quick and easy to action in terms of reports. I've spoken before about the kind of detail the reports and guides go into that you get with Sightbulb. The great thing about you listening to this podcast is you can get a 60-day trial of Sightbulb. There's no obligation, no credit card or anything required and all you need to do is go to sightbulb.com forward slash SWC to get that. Yesterday, at the time of recording at least, so last Thursday, if you're listening to this on Monday, Google did one of their, what I think we can now safely call standard tweets about um, a broad core algorithm update. So the search liaison account very creatively tweeted, later today, we are releasing a broad core algorithm update as we do several times per year. It is called the, can you guess it? December 2020 core update. Our guidance about such updates remains as we covered before. Please see this blog post for more about that. Now, I'm you probably got from my tone that I'm a little bit disappointed that Google kind of got this search liaison role and this is 
the level of communication we get now, which is two, three times a year, we get this copy and pasted tweet and, you know, we get told the only new information basically we get told is, and we already know it, the month of the update um, and that it's a core update. Interestingly, a couple of points I do want to add to this because the same thing applies to every time I've spoken about these broad core updates when they're announced, which is that I don't know what they've changed. Nobody knows what they've changed except maybe some obviously internal Googlers who aren't apparently going to tell us anything. So there's not a lot of direct advice you can get from this. But one, it's good to know. Um, so if you are seeing ranking changes, this is a possible reason. But something I found particularly interesting about this was actually on Wednesday, I did see several people uh, posting screenshots of the various SERP monitoring tools showing high volatility in search results. So it looks like we had some pre-tremors to this announcement. So my guess is that this had just already started rolling out before this announcement was made. And certainly actually this time around, even on some of our client sites, we have already started to see changes. And these are insights outside of a lot of the sites we normally see affected, which has recently been a lot of kind of your money, your life type sites. Um, if you want to know more about your money or life type sites, we did a brilliant interview with Lily Ray a few weeks ago. You can find the link to that episode in the, sh in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. So what I did want to share with you about this update was a thread on Twitter by Arij Abu Ali, uh, who again we've actually um, talked to on this podcast. So Arij Abu Ali is the founder of Women in Tech SEO, and we talked to her about that. So again, search.withcanda.co.uk. If you have a look in there, you'll see there'll be a link to the episode where we spoke to Arij. But she did she put together some nice advice here that I thought I would share with you about this uh, algorithm update. So she wrote. Getting impacted by core algorithm updates can be stressful, but please remember that there is only so much you have control over. Here's a few things to focus on over the next two weeks. I feel calmer already. Thank you, Arish. She says, one, communication is key. Over communicate with your team, clients and business stakeholders. So absolutely already today, we've emailed a lot of our key clients telling them that this has been announced. So if we see any dramatic movements you know don't panic um don't do anything rash let's just wait until the dust settles and we can look at what's happened two revisit your reporting plan ensure that you're monitoring and reporting on critical metrics for yourself and your competitors three don't rush into theories i'll say that again don't rush into theories uh, i'm fully expecting to see uh you know the the ultimate guide for how to beat Google's December 2020 core update in the next few years. But really good point by Rich. don't rush into theories. It's a core update, it's evaluating your website as a whole rather than this one change you did to your site a month ago. Don't rush into theories or assumptions. Four, share your learnings. We work in an industry full of thousands of people who are keen to share their knowledge and learnings with one another. Get involved in those conversations and ask and share your knowledge openly and kindly. Five, evaluate the best plan forward. Whether you're impacted or not, ensure you have a clear plan on how to continue optimizing your website that's closely aligned with the business KPIs. And she just tops off saying, while some might feel fairly obvious, it's easy to get bogged down in the detail 
and not take a step back and breathe. Um, fully agree with everything you've written there, uh, Rich. I was actually helping um, actually a potential client out this week with a very odd issue they had with Google to do with ranking that without kind of giving away too much, the results we were seeing in Google weren't logical. The The kind of search quality seemed off and they'd been around talking to various people and they'd been kind of pulling their hair out internally trying to figure out what it was and I was being sort of throwing questions about could it be this could it be we you know we don't have enough entities on the page could it be these href lines could it be that we've got this small percent of pages erroring and I had to have this discussion with them and in the end I I settled on I thought it was actually kind of a kink on Google's side so it certainly wasn't anything they had been doing and I think that's an easy trap to fall into especially when you get into as Arish puts it there getting bogged down in the detail and one thing I think to take on board is if you listen to people like Gary, John Mueller, Martin Split having their conversations on their podcast they're constantly joking about you know the web being broken and this means that Google needs and does operate um, with the assumption and with the ability to work with what kind of you give it and yes it is optimal of course if you know pages return 200 status codes when they're working and you know things load quickly but the fact is lots of stuff on the web is broken and it doesn't mean just because you've yourself got you know a tiny percentage of a percentage of pages not working that that's going to have a detrimental impact on your ranking so I'd be interested to see over the next few weeks over Christmas what changes we see from this core update. This week I saw Google has posted an FAQ, so a frequently asked questions on Core Web Vitals. Again, as usual, if you go to the show notes, search.withcanda.co.uk, you'll find a link to this FAQ there. Uh, it's quite long, so what I've actually done is I've pulled out some of what I think are the more interesting questions and maybe stuff we haven't covered before. So we've had two episodes previously again we'll link to them in the show notes where we've discussed uh, core web vitals what they are why they exist why they're good as general metrics we've also had a discussion about core web vitals in context to google using them as a ranking factor and pulling them in as metrics and ways to measure page experience for users there i think they're for me was a couple of things in this FAQ that while um, you know while I shared some of them and I reposted some of them and somebody replied to me and said well that's obvious some of them are perhaps obvious but it is good when you get confirmation from Google about specifically how something works because that's like a new axiom that you can build on and know that at least that rock that you're putting your foot on is is steady because it's when you when you start coming up with these theories and ways of working which are 
not quite sure or pretty sure assumptions all stacked onto each other it only needs one of those to kind of be wrong before everything else starts falling to bits so i'm just going to go through a couple of the questions that i thought were interesting and give some context uh, as to why so the questions i found interesting was is google recommending that all my pages hit these thresholds and what's the benefit so that's referring to for each of the three core web vitals for cumulative layout shift first input delay and largest content for paint they all have these targets that google have set so their answer is we recommend that websites use these three thresholds as a guidepost for optimal user experience across all pages core web vitals thresholds are assessed at a per page level and you might find that some pages are above and other pages are below these thresholds the immediate benefit will be a better experience for users that visit your site but in the long term we believe that working towards a shared set of user experience metrics and thresholds across all websites will be critical in order to sustain a healthy web ecosystem so the short answer there is firstly that these web core vitals are measured on a per page basis not on a per site basis that yes google does really want you to try and meet these threshold thresholds on all pages and as we and i have mentioned before you know the the primary reason you should be focusing on these core web vitals is the user experience like you know if you improve these things it's likely going to impact your bottom line your leads your sales whatever it is you want people on your site to do seo is almost like a second bonus reason to do these and there's some questions around amp as well so accelerated mobile pages so the question if i built amp pages accelerated mobile pages pages do they meet the recommended uh, thresholds and uh, google's answer is very pro amp surprisingly <laughs> there is a high likelihood that amp pages will meet the thresholds amp is about delivering high quality user first experiences its initial design goals are closely aligned with core web vital with what core web vitals measure today this means that sites built using amp likely can easily meet web vitals thresholds furthermore amps evergreen release enables site owners to get these performance improvements without having to change their code base or invest in additional resources it is important to note there are things outside of amps control which can result in pages not meeting the thresholds such as slow server response times and unoptimized images so they're giving themselves a caveat but a lot of this um initial performance was spearheaded by this amp project um that google's been obviously very keen on over the last few years and they have made a step back from it we talked about it again i think episode before three episodes ago we were talking about inclusion in google top stories because the um the criteria for you being included in those is changing so up until now you've had to have amp pages to be included and they're now going to change that basically to anything that fits in these web vitals metrics so they they do seem to be broadening um, that out another question on amp is can a site meet the recommended thresholds without using amp and as we've kind of said here google's saying yes you can take a look at the guidance offered on web.dev and how you can optimize your performance against core web vitals um but they're really making it clear here with this answer that there are now a myriad of options outside of um amp
And then we get on to some interesting things about uh, PWAs and SPAs, so progressive web apps. If my site is a progressive web app, does it meet the recommended thresholds? And the answer is not necessarily, since it would depend on how the PWA is implemented and how real users are experiencing the page. Core Web Vitals are complementary to shipping a good PWA. It's important that every site, whether a PWA or not, focuses on loading experience, interactivity and layout stability. We recommend that all PWAs follow Core Web Vitals guidelines. So I think what's trying to be said between the lines here is, yeah, it's going to be tricky probably to hit some of these metrics if it's a PWA, but Basically, we don't care how you're delivering the experience, but it needs to be good. Um, I think it's what's kind of being said there. You're not going to get, um, so it's, it's possible to do, but you're not going to get like a free uh, get out of jail card just because it's a PWA. And we've got the same, um, same question for single page applications. So super popular. Can a site meet the recommended thresholds if it is a single page application? Core Web Vitals measure the end user experience of a particular web page and don't take into account the technologies and architectures involved in delivering that experience. Layout shifts, input delays and contentful paints are as relevant to a single page application as they are to other architectures. Different architectures may result in different friction points to address to meet the thresholds. No matter what architecture you pick, what matters is the observed user experience. And this is really important. So I had a, how would I describe it, a protracted conversation over many months with a web development agency that had built a site for a client that was a single page application. And amongst some of the other foibles that you normally encounter with an SPA is that, you know, the web vitals are all coming back as poor. Um, from field data, so from from real users, how observed users are are seeing these pages, and the discussion was kind of like, okay, look, the performance isn't quite where we need it to be, and the developer's response was like, well, um, it's an SPA, um, so you can't judge site speed as you would normally, blah blah blah. You know, it doesn't. What Google's saying here is, it doesn't matter what's happening behind the curtain. Those core vitals you see especially if you're lucky enough to have that field data in search console is what you're being scored on and what needs to be good and there's a question here about the mobile and desktop scores because obviously at the moment you've got the two different scores in search console and it says why are there differences in scores between mobile and desktop and the answer is at this time using page experience as a signal for ranking will only apply to mobile search I'll read that again. At this time, using page experience as a signal for ranking will apply only to mobile search. I thought this was really interesting. And this was one of the kind of tips I shared that I got told it was obvious, which is that in May 2021, when Google is starting to integrate these um, core vitals in their ranking algorithm, that it's the mobile score they're going to use. And of course, this makes sense because you know, we've had this mobile first slash mobile only indexing push from Google. So it makes sense that that's the score they're going to pick for um, core vitals and, and ranking. I think it's good, though, as I said, to have this as a confirmation because, you know, we don't know 
up until now whether they were maybe using some kind of aggregate or like average between the two um, but that's now been laid out that that's the one you need to focus on so if you go into your google search console and everything's coming up green for desktop but red or yellow for mobile that is actually something you will need to focus on um, the rest of the answer is essentially saying while the technology used to create the site may be similar so the mobile desktop site real users of the two versions will have different constraints such as device viewport size network connectivity and more and this leads on to this next question and this i found particularly interesting so the question is how do core web vitals account for sites whose user base comprises high volume MBU traffic or other users with poor internet connectivity. Now I had to ask what MBU traffic was uh, because I'd never heard of it and it turns out not many other people had heard of that either. Um, there were a few guesses which were non-broadband users and another one was uh, not uh, non-built up areas. Um, kindly Google came back to us and sort of said oh sorry that's some internal terminology they'll change it but the point is basically there the question is asking how does Webcore Vitals account for uh, traffic where their internet connection basically isn't very good so the answer is Core Web Vitals is meant to measure the quality of a user's experience on a website the user population of each site differs and some sites not limited to any particular region may have significant populations of users that may be using older devices using slower networks and so on in such cases sites should adapt the content to ensure that such users are still receiving a great user experience and ideally still meet the recommended core web vital thresholds i thought this was really interesting because it means that the you know the there's no objective set standard in terms of performance except these web core vitals which themselves are determined really by the user's connection so you may have a site that functions perfectly well in the UK or say in the US and you get green lights on all of your web core vitals and if you then deployed that same site as an international version somewhere where most of the connections are 3G you'll suddenly find that you've got lots of red lights for the exact same site uh, because they're having a poor experience because of the slow internet connection and what Google's saying is in those instances you need to tone the site down you know you need to make it a better user experience for those sites so whether that comes down to you know making pages simpler you know less JavaScript smaller images whatever it is um, you need to still try and hit those metrics and I found that really interesting because I haven't heard that talked about so much in terms of planning um, with a lot of websites when it comes to actually thinking about the the internet connectivity speed of the users in the country or place you're targeting versus actually well you know the web developer checked it on their performance tool and it says everything is fine and lastly, uh, the last question I'm going to go over is how does Google determine which pages are affected by the assessment of page experience and usage as a ranking signal? And the answer is page experience is just one of many signals that are used to rank pages. Keep in mind that the intent of the search query is still a very strong signal. So a page with a subpar page experience may still rank highly if it has great relevant content. So this 
obviously, you know, <laughs> I say obviously again, I fall into my own trap there. Um, it's just highlighting that it's not a live or die thing. You know, if you still have the better site, the better content, it doesn't mean you're not going to rank because your page is slow. It's again, just one of many signals that are interacting with each other. Links in the show notes to the rest of the FAQ. I think it's a really important one and interesting one to read through. Fairly quietly, a new set of reports has been released in Google Search Console and they are crawling reports, which is great news because it's not something we've had uh, really in Search Console for a long time. We've had the legacy kind of crawl reports, which are quite limited. These ones are a little bit hidden away. So if you're in Google Search Console, you actually need to go down into settings, which is right near the bottom on the left. And if you click that, you'll see you'll have your normal property settings and about and in the middle you have a little box uh, labeled crawling and there will be an open report link to get crawl stats and from here actually we've got a really nice in-depth uh, report well not obviously as in-depth as actually going through your logs but for easy accessibility and kind of cross-referencing what you're seeing with everything else in search console it's really nice it's very similar to the search results performance report um, so you get to easily look at your total crawl requests the total download size the average response time and google plots those in charts um, and you can then quite quickly drill down if you are finding you had spikes for instance in different types of response codes so we've got re reports here as well of by response code by file type by purpose, which I've never seen before. So by purpose, uh, we've got refresh and discovery listed. So I, um, I'm assuming here without reading any more documentation that refreshes when Google knows a URL exists and it wants to check if something's changed versus discovery, which is I'm here to find new pages. Um, we've got Googlebot type as well. So smartphone, um, desktop image, ads bot, etc. Um, file type so we can see how Google's crawling your HTML, JavaScript, uh, JSON, images, CSS, etc. And the response code as well. So response code I think is really helpful as well. So you can click on any of these individually like the 404s and it will give you again all of the URLs that have been hit by crawlers, how often and the response codes they're getting. So really nice, same with um, average response time as well actually. So we can have a look at specific URLs or sets of URLs and their response time. So it's it's a really nice surface level amount of data that's quickly accessible that can help you root out problems that sometimes might have been more challenging. So if you have a suspicion, for instance, that a certain set of pages aren't getting crawled or certainly not as much as they should be, you can break down and find that out through Google Search Console without um, trying to go through log analysis and anyone certainly that works agency side will know um, getting hold of log files isn't sometimes as simple as you would like um, you know personally I've sometimes had to wait months to get hold of log files um, so having this data now in search console makes it a lot more accessible um, as well um, and linked to this, I did want to talk about crawl budgets. So these kind of things are related. Google has published some new guidance on crawl budget, which is really cool. Um, they've been doing a few different things lately. So they have their search off the record podcast as well. And they've 
been talking about more about Google's kind of crawling, rendering, indexing infrastructure, caffeine, and they've talked about crawl budget as well on there. And now we've got this new documentation. Specifically, they've called it for large site owners and actually managing your crawl budget. And this is really helpful because previously there really wasn't that much official documentation around kind of crawl budget and for new people when they should be thinking about it and actually actually what crawl budget is. Um, there probably won't be anything in here that really surprises uh, experienced SEOs, but again, this comes down to they've been very specific on a few points which I think will help. And um, firstly, they've specified and they've they've made it clear while they have specified that the numbers they've given are a rough estimate to help you. So the answer of it depends does apply, but very similar to the advice, to be honest, that we've given over years is, you know, you only really need to think about crawl budget if you have what Google defines as a large site, which is to put a finger in the air, like maybe a million plus unique pages that changes you know, moderately often, so they're saying like maybe once a week, or you've got a medium kind of above site, so 10 or 100 thousands of pages with daily changing content. So it just gives you, you know, general idea to when these numbers are of a size that everything else might be applicable. You know, if you've got a 500 page website, it's not, it's not going to be an issue for you ever. You know, Google's not going to have this issue with limiting their, their crawling. So the interesting things that I haven't seen myself specified before uh, in Google Docs talk about crawl capacity limit and crawl demand. Um, so crawl capacity limit in this documentation starts talking about how um, Google calculates this number, which is the maximum essentially number of parallel connections that Googlebot can have to crawl your site because Google is quite capable of obviously flooring websites if it if it liked, but they want to avoid doing that. So they have a few things they look at such as, so they've listed the crawl health, which is if the site responds quickly for a while, um, the limit goes up, meaning more connections can be used to crawl. If the site slows down or responds with server errors, the limit goes down and Googlebot crawls less. So these, um, I think Gary used to refer to them on their podcast as Google calls them back off signals, which is, you know, when they're crawling a site and they it looks like they may be putting too much uh, strain on it. So crawl health is one. Uh, second thing is if there's actually a limit set by the site owner in Search Console, because you can optionally reduce Google's crawling speed um, in Search Console. And they've put a note there that obviously if you ask to be crawled slower, that's obeyed. If you ask to be crawl, crawled more, that won't necessarily happen. That's kind of at their uh, discretion. And then Google's crawling limits because, you know, while Google is big and has a lot of infrastructure, there is a finite amount to their resource, especially um, at the sharp end when it comes to indexing and, and rendering. Um, but in terms of crawling as well, they need to say they make choices in the resource that they have and how they deploy them. So that's how they calculate the main things they look at calculating this crawl capacity limit. And this is overlaid with what they've called crawl demand. So what they've written here is Google typically spends as much time as necessary crawling a site given its size, its update frequency, page quality and relevance compared to other sites. 
The factors that play a significant role in determining crawl demand are one, perceived inventory. So without guidance from you, Googlebot will try and crawl all or most of the URLs that it knows about on your site. If many of these URLs are duplicates or should not be crawled for some other reasons, are they removed, not important, etc., this wastes a lot of Google crawling time on your site. This is a factor that you can positively control the most. Secondly is popularity. URLs that are popular on the internet, they haven't said it here, but they mean links, <laughs> tend to be crawled more often to keep them fresher in our index. Uh, staleness. Our systems want to recrawl documents frequently enough to pick up any changes. Um, and they've got a note here saying additionally site-wide events like site moves may trigger an increase in crawl demand in order to re-index the content under the new URLs. Again, that's something Gary Ish mentioned on his Twitter around um, if, if they detect your site significantly changed, they will kind of dispatch more robots to you and you'll probably see that now because we've got that cool new crawl stats report so I imagine you would see an uptick in discovery um, if there are new URLs there that they need to crawl. Apart from that again we'll link to this um, to this guide on crawl budget management again in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk it goes on to give you some guidance that again we've uh, I guess we've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but it's a bit too much in depth really um, about the best practices around managing um, crawl budgets. But it's really good to maybe share with your developers and certainly, you know, avoiding these big issues that sometimes sites go live with, like if you've got what are essentially non-canonical pages, variations of items, products, categories that are crawlable rather than have to do a duct tape patch fix with like a robots.txt you could just not make them crawlable in the first instance so check that out really nice bit of documentation that google's given us we'll close off the show with just very very brief last couple of bits of news that i picked up that i don't want to go too deeply into so Google My Business, there's a couple of new features coming to this. There is a post that Google have put live, which is called uh, New Ways to Connect With and Understand Your Customers. Um, it's, it's a fairly long post about Google My Business, but I'll save you some time. It basically rolls down to two things, which is messaging and metrics. So to pull out the relevant bits, Google says, starting today, we're rolling out the ability for verified businesses to message with customers directly from the Google Maps app. Once you turn messaging on from your business profile, you can start replying to customers on Google Maps from the business messages section in the updates tab. So that's one update. And the second, a little bit more vague, but they've said starting this month, we're rolling out more metrics to give you a deeper understanding of how customers discover your business profile. So we did cover uh, earlier in the year, it was episode 74, some updates to Google My Business in terms of reporting. So you can go listen to that episode if you've missed it. And 
these are some more updates where apparently soon we're going to see a more detailed list of search queries customers use to find our businesses on Google. And at the beginning of next year, we'll see updates to the performance page that show whether customers saw our business via Google Maps or Search and if they saw it on a computer or mobile device. So they're the two things that are changing about Google My Business, which will just happen to your accounts. And lastly, I wanted to mention some of you know uh, we or I post daily unsolicited SEO tips on LinkedIn and we've just now compiled uh, 400 of these, would you believe it? Um, you can find them, I guess, if you just Google unsolicited SEO tips. Uh, it'll probably come out with a LinkedIn post which will eventually, if you go to that link through to our site, we've had to host them on our site because the article became too long for LinkedIn. Uh, which I found after um, adding another 100 to a LinkedIn article, hitting save, kind of closing the tab and not realizing uh, LinkedIn had errored and just been like, sorry, this content's too long. So there is a, there is a quite a, I consider low limit to how much you can do in LinkedIn articles if you're interested in that. But they're now hosted on our site. They'll just stay there. We've um, even put some videos in. So there's some clips there around different con um, concepts around robots.txt, canonicization, how to remove stuff from Google. So it should be really helpful if you're starting out or if someone's training with SEO. And even if you've been doing SEO for ages, I'm sure there's something in there that will jog your memory as to, oh yeah, I forgot I knew that or, oh, I forgot, you know, I should be looking at web stories or, you know, something that should help you. So do check them out. Uh, that's everything for this episode. Of course, I'll be back in one week's time, which will be Monday the 14th of December. I think this will be the penultimate episode we'll record before Christmas. So I'll record one more probably on the 18th. We'll do uh, an end of year um, an end of year episode again and probably get some more guests on to talk about 2020 and what we think is going to happen in 2021 and then I'll probably have a couple of weeks off over Christmas before we start again in 2021 if you are enjoying the podcast please subscribe uh, it's really been cool over the last few months well last year year and a half seeing the subscribers slowly month on month uh, increase and sort of some spikes in listeners so that's been really good and thanks for all the good feedback we've had other than that have a brilliant week and I hope everyone working uh, Black Friday has kind of calmed down now and we're into Christmas mode take care everyone